0: 2021 finally uh, uh, it, it's so nice to have 2020 in hindsight right <laughs> time continues to march on sometimes it moves too slow but when you think about your kids and your grandkids it seems like it moves too fast uh, you, you you remember them as babies and then they're graduating school and then they're getting married and Next thing you know, they're having babies of their own. It happens in the blink of an eye, and it feels like just in some aspects of life, time just moves so fast. Well, the same thing is true with, uh, with the text that we have today. We've been celebrating the birth of Jesus, and now... Uh, the first Sunday in 2021, we're going to see Jesus as a 12-year-old boy. So he's gone from the cradle to 12 years old in a blink of an eye and from one week to the next. Uh, throughout the first part of this year, we're going to, until Resurrection Sunday on Easter, uh, we'll be looking at different texts from the Gospel of Luke. So I invite you to get your Bibles. Today we're in Luke chapter 2, verse 41 and following, and uh, we'll, we'll think about uh, what God has for us today. Um, Jesus is 12 years old. This is the only story from his childhood, from his adolescence. Uh, we know the stories of when he was born, when he's presented in the temple uh, as a days-old child or infant, but then nothing until he's an adult. Y- you know. Different ones of us have sat down to write our life history. Uh, we, we do it to kind of remember and to think through, but we also do it to leave our life uh, in in some sort of format that other people can access and have uh, uh, have at their disposal. If, if, if you had to choose just one incident or one experience from your life, from your childhood, to write in your story, how, how would you choose? What was... One thing that happened to you or that you experienced, only one. Well, the gospel writers had that kind of a challenge. And it's interesting that for a lot of people, this one story that we're going to read in Luke chapter 2 isn't enough. And so at a very early point in history, people were making up stories about Jesus's childhood about what he was like at school and hanging out with his friends. And some of the stories aren't very flattering to Jesus. It shows him as kind of manipulative, using his power to, to benefit himself, to get himself out of trouble. Some of them are kind of innocent, but at the same time not true to his character. Uh, one where Jesus is five years old and he's making uh, uh, birds out of mud and clay. And, um, and and the teacher was very happy with the other students' birds, and so uh, Jesus was feeling left out, so he claps his hands and converts them into real birds, and they fly away, and, and then everybody loved Jesus. Well, those kinds of stories are not true to his character. We never see Jesus doing anything for his own personal benefit, and, and so uh, uh, those stories kind of get tossed to the side, but this story, Luke decides, needs to be a part of the biblical record. This story needs to happen. Why does Luke choose this story? Well, let's read it and see if we can uncover some ideas on how this story can even speak to us some 2,000 years down the road. I'm going to begin uh, Luke Luke 2, verse 41. Every year Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. When Jesus was 12 years old, they attended the festival as usual. After the celebration was over, they started home to Nazareth, but Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents didn't miss him at first because they assumed he was among the other travelers. But when he didn't show up that evening, they started looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they couldn't find him, they went back to Jerusalem to search for him there. Three days later, they finally discovered him in the temple, sitting among the religious teachers, listening to them and asking questions. All who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. Verse 48, his parents didn't know what to think. Son, his mother said to him, why have you done this to us? Your father and I have been frantic searching for you everywhere. But, but why did you need to search, he asked. Didn't you know that I must be in my father's house and about my father's business? But they didn't understand what he meant. Then he returned to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. And his mother stored all these things in her heart. Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and all the people." The Old Testament had commanded all Jewish men to make three pilgrimages to the temple in Jerusalem, Passover, Pentecost, and Tabernacle. But By the time the first century came and distance as people were further scattered and cost and, and dealing with Roman government issues, the practice had gone down to just making one annual trip. Now, from where Joseph and Mary and Jesus lived, it would have been a two- to three-day journey there. They would have spent one week in Jerusalem and then another two- to three-day journey home. Two weeks. It would have been expensive. It would have taken time away from Joseph's carpentry shop. And so this was a significant demonstration of faithfulness. And one of the things we notice is that Joseph and Mary were doing this before um, Jesus came in. They were devout religious people. They weren't doing it just because Jesus. They were doing it because that's who they were. And then on this trip, (laughs) lo and behold, Jesus goes missing. You know, just about every week I see a news article or I get an alert on my phone that a child has gone missing. And I don't know about you, but in my mind I wonder, what happened? How does how, how do you lose a child? Some of us have had experience with a child getting displaced or overlooked or left behind someplace. How can good parents lose a child? How can Joseph and Mary lose Jesus? Well, when you lose a child, it's often either the fault of distracted adults or an adventurous kid. What we do know is that Mary and Joseph were beside themselves. They were probably feeling a combination of concern for Jesus. Is he okay? Oh, no, please, God, watch over him. And wait till I get my hands on that boy. (laughs) Well, they make the journey back. And can you imagine what that journey was like? There were no cell phones. There were no telephones. There were no way to communicate. They're making this journey back. It probably took one day to get back to Jerusalem, one or two one or two days to walk through the city, yelling his name, asking. They didn't have pictures. And finally they find him in the temple. Now, he's in the temple. There's a crowd of people standing around. And he's having an interaction back and forth with the religious leaders. Now, I had always in my mind kind of imagined that that he's kind of teaching them at just a demonstration of his wisdom and his godliness being filled with the spirit. But it says that he listened and asked questions. And so it seems that there was some back and forth that he was learning in this process. But people were amazed at his ability to understand and comprehend these deep issues that the rabbis had been studying for years and years. Jesus, at a very early age, had a passion for Scripture. He believed all the words and all the promises of the Bible, and most importantly, he trusted God. He knew who God was and believed with all of his heart that God was true. But his parents were not quite as impressed when when they finally find him. Mary could have said, oh, Jesus, I'm so sorry that we left you behind. But rather, she says, how could you do this to us? It almost sounds like she thought that maybe he did this on purpose. He was making them look bad. You know, Mary had lived with this knowledge that Jesus was a special baby. And I'm sure she must have, especially early on after that angelic announcement, she must have taken very special care. This was a special child. And perhaps as the years went on and just normal life, that specialness might have worn off. I don't know. It's obvious Jesus was a good kid. He was not a troublemaker. And this seemed to be out of pattern for him. So she blurts out the accusation. Why did you do this to us? Well, Jesus doesn't accept any blame. (laughs) He kind of side skirts the whole issue of responsibility and says, hey, I'm good. I know where I'm supposed to be. I wasn't lost. I was right where I was supposed to be. Dealing in my father's house with my father's business. There's a word used in English. It's translated must. In Greek, it's the word D-E-I, day. De. And it signifies an urgency, an importance. It's like a divine obligation. I must do this. Jesus said he had to be, he must be in his father's house, dealing with his father's business. He'll use the word quite frequently throughout the Gospel of Luke. I must preach the good news of the kingdom. I must go to the house of Zacchaeus. I must fulfill all the Old Testament prophecies about me. I must suffer. I must be delivered up. I must be crucified, and I must be resurrected. Jesus' entire life was controlled and guided by this divine must. I must be in my father's house. Mary had just said, your father and I are looking for you. And then Jesus kind of very gently says, yeah, I'm aware of my father. William Barclay says, see how very gently but very definitely Jesus takes the name Father, from Joseph and gives it to God. It's also interesting that Jesus calls God my Father. Throughout the Old Testament, there's probably a dozen references to God as Father. So that in and of itself wasn't new. But to take it very personally, God is my Father. Abraham never said that. Moses never said that. David never said that. He's saying beyond a father figure for all of us, literally, he is my father. And then the chapter concludes with a general description of Jesus's growth. I appreciate Ben's idea uh, in the Lord's Supper about this is a year for us to grow. And Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and maturity in favor with God and with people. Let me suggest four takeaways that I think will uh, help us as we think about what this text means and how we can understand this text for us. Uh, The first thing is there is value in good habits. I'm not a big fan of New Year's resolutions. Uh, Statistics indicate that most people that make resolutions on New Year's Day uh, have worked them, convinced themselves it's not that important by about the third week of January, and that's when you see all the uh, exercise machines go back on sale, and that's when you see people drop out of their memberships for the gym and do all those kinds of things. But at the same time, it's never too late to start a good habit. So if you're looking to start a good habit today, well, make it, <laughs> make it today and, and, and do it. Um, remember that when you want to start something new, it will take time, so be patient. Generally, 30 days is kind of a good marker to do something every day before it becomes like old nature and old hat. It's also helpful if you combine it with something else. And so if there's something that you're already doing, uh, let's say you're already eating breakfast, and so now you're going to read and listen to someone reading the Bible on your app uh, every morning while you're eating your breakfast. You're going to eat breakfast anyway, so then join something new to what you're already doing. And then the, the third thing I would suggest about beginning a new habit, um, don't try and do too much. Uh, uh, don't say you're going to read a book of the Bible every day. Um, that's probably not going to happen. It could happen. <laughs> but uh, when you get to Psalms, you're going to get bogged down. It's going to take a while to work through that one. Uh, but um, uh, go slow, go long, and uh, and remember that this is a, a, an endurance race, like a marathon. And so... Uh, um, stay focused on the larger picture so joseph and mary had good habits and and that le- leads to our second point jesus needed a family to help him grow up god didn't send jesus as an adult already fully formed just out of he he could have just had him born anywhere and just show up in jerusalem as an adult but but rather, he chose to place Jesus as a baby, as a toddler, as a school-age child, as an adolescent, because that family helped form those habits and that character that Jesus needed for the rest of his life and ministry. Roberta Hestonus, who's written a lot about the importance of family and family ministry, uh, says the following, Family was the nurturing context within which Jesus was prepared for his life's work and mission. Family life was the primary place where Jesus was shaped for adulthood, with character, values, and faith. His growth didn't happen by some extraordinary set of things, but by daily faith and work, by the worship and community practice and experience by his parents, siblings, in their home. Jesus grew up in a home that practiced good habits, and those habits then helped him grow and mature and become the man that he was. Now, many of us come from broken homes or highly dysfunctional families. But that doesn't mean we can't begin to then demonstrate God's grace and mercy even in the midst of the dysfunction that surrounds us. It might be harder, but it can happen. And we see numerous examples, not only in the Bible, but within our own congregation of individuals who've overcome extremely dysfunctional situations to then have very successful and functional, uh, to a certain extent, uh, uh, families. And so um, that can happen. Parents you're not raising children, you're raising adults. And what that means is that every day, every year, those young adults require and need more independence. Joseph and Mary learned one of the most important lessons that you can learn in life when it comes to children. Your children are not simply your children. They're God's children. And ultimately, he's the one who's going to Uh, uh, see to their upbringing and to whom they ultimately belong. And children, just because the Bible talks about you becoming independent doesn't mean that you can diss your parents and that you don't have to listen to them. Jesus, who had of anyone on earth the right to do what he wanted to do, and not obey mom and dad because he's, after all, the son of God, chose, after this incident, to go home and be a good son and not create waves until he left home to begin his ministry. So even Jesus learned to submit. In fact, Jesus submitted to his earthly father, but as we're going to see, he also submitted to to his heavenly father. A, a third thing that I think is important for us to, to, to realize is that Jesus had to learn and grow in these various characteristics. Um, I, I don't know what you imagine, but Jesus wasn't born with a memory stick place where you could just put in all of the scriptures downloaded and then he could just recite them. He learned to memorize. Uh, He he had to do that hard work of memorizing scripture like you and I struggle when we do our daily Bible reading and we do memory verses. You know, his physical development is the easiest part of that for us to see. His emotional and his intellectual development is a little bit harder. We seem to think that Jesus has kind of a a step up that, that he was already gifted so that it wasn't as hard for him. But uh, one of the things that this text teaches us and, and these texts that talk about his development and his growth is that Jesus had to learn. He had to grow. He had to memorize things. The, the one, if you want to say benefit, or, or the one uh, 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 step up that he had over us is he wasn't limited by sin. And so there was no laziness in him. Uh, Sin didn't ever enter into his head. He never had loss of memory, uh, of of memory, brain cells because of drinking or drugs or bad behavior. Uh, Jesus never experienced those things. And so he was able to develop his brain in a completely maximized state. And so if, if you want to say that Jesus had an advantage, that was, I think, perhaps the only advantage that he might have had. He was, for all practical purpose, a young boy who then grew up and developed into a man. The last point, I think, is what I alluded to earlier. Jesus' focus, my father's house, my father's business, I think dominates his life. His purpose was to do God's will. That was his only purpose. And yet with all of the emphasis he had on doing God's will and whatever that meant to him in obeying and submitting to God, the last verse we read says that he also grew not only in favor with God, but in favor with man. Our relationship with God is important. It's extremely important that we focus on who we are as God's children and what our relationship to Him is, but that doesn't mean then we don't have to care for our relationship with those around us. We can be fully devoted to God and yet find ways to be good neighbors, to be good citizens, and find ways to bring God's presence into the lives of those around us. I hope that this year is a year of growth for you. If it means a new Bible reading program, if it means starting a new app, if it means whatever it means, I pray that this year we'll see you grow in wisdom and in maturity, in favor with God, and favor with man.